Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Brett Chisholm. And I'm Josh Evans. And on today's episode, we have news about hidden treasure that has now been found. And contrary to what whimsical movies may lead you to believe, it was not inside of you this whole time. Josh then discusses his surprising amount of love for Monsters University. However, I'm not surprised because Pixar brings the bangers. And then for the content piece, Josh hits reply all on the story of the greatest podcast episode of all time. Movies, shows, and video games, podcast books, and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Uh, there was a uh, eccentric gentleman who buried treasure with the intention of getting people to do just that, to go outside, to get off the couch, to have an adventure. And this was over 10 years ago. You've probably heard about this. And uh, But I just talked to a friend of mine who's very outdoorsy and very in the know, and he lives in Utah, and he has never heard of this until I told him about this. But Forrest Fenn's buried, hidden... Well, it was, I don't think it was buried. But his, his hidden treasure has officially been found. It's so awesome. That's like, uh, <laughs> like Goonies. That's like something you wouldn't expect to ever see in real life. Dude, it's it's it just fits the storyline of 2020 of just like, is this real? Are we in a simulation? All of the Matrix, but it's it's a pot. It's a cool thing, man. I I just love this story. So let me give you a little bit of a background uh, because yeah, I don't there know are much people, detail about it at all. Yeah, I, I just find it fascinating. So, Forrest Fenn, he is currently 89 years old. And he first buried the treasure uh, just over 10 years ago. And I believe the story goes that he was diagnosed with a terminal illness. And he kind of had has been a really interesting and adventurous person his whole life. And he kind of wanted to do something um, to, you know, we all want to leave our mark on the world. We all want to leave an impact. And he did just that. He put together this treasure chest reported to be approximately one to two million dollars they think he has had friends that saw it in his house um it's estimated to have been forged in the 12th century it's this bronze box and it's filled like a true treasure chest it's got gold coins it's got emeralds it's got antiquities and this dude is legit he uh he's he calls himself a, well, first he was a he, formally he was a, in the United States Air Force as a pilot. He flew in Vietnam, but later he called himself a self-taught archaeologist. So I guess that's kind of a Indiana Jones wannabe. That's like a self-taught contentologist. It's like, <laughs> it's exactly. We I feel like we can relate to him. He might have gone to the same imaginary school that we attended. My iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> well, he ended up uh, actually uh, being a legitimate art dealer, so he's very successful. And one of my favorite towns, actually, I used to fly in there uh, every once in a while, is Santa Fe, New Mexico. Have you been to Santa Fe? You know what? I think we might have passed through there or somewhere roughly by there 
on the motorcycle trip. I okay. can't really recall too much detail about it though. It's really cool. It's it's very very artsy. I don't know how else to put it. There, I mean, it's tons of visual artists. You know, tons of different styles. Um, but so Forrest Fenn puts this treasure together and hides it. And then turns out he his terminal illness went into remission. He ends up, he's still alive. He's alive right now. He's eighty nine years old, but his treasure. I mean, people have searched for this thing. I believe the estimate that I most recently heard was over three hundred thousand people have been searching for this treasure. There's online communities. There's you know YouTubes and blogs and uh, I mean it's there's some there was some interesting theories that floated around that the whole thing was an allegory the whole time and it was to lead you to this religious temple and he would quash that and be like no no the no. real treasure it's- was in us the whole time <laughs> exactly I bet, I bet this was like basically went through waves of like people were thought it thought it was real and then it was assumed to be totally fake because no one had found it and then like some new person would get interested in it probably definitely. just seemed like a pipe dream definitely well the the and we'll we can talk about some of the there there is kind of some edges of conspiracies and and that is one of the things you know people called this a publicity stunt early on and he's like uh yeah, it is a publicity stunt. That's exactly what it is, but it's it's a real one. And people had seen it. His family, you know, knew that he was a legitimate dude. Um, and he just and and we'll talk about some of the controversies because some people, <laughs> many people, have had to be rescued. And there's actually been some fatalities yeah. associated with searching for this treasure. And you know, he he has always stuck to his guns that it was not found. It is real. And he's not making it up, and he would not want to be liable. You know, he's trying to like add a little whimsy to our, you know, mundane reality. Not that there's anything mundane about 2020, but little uh, whimsy slash death to our world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nothing more whimsical than falling down like a mine shaft and starving to death. You know, it, it's uh, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, and whimsy is in the twinkle of the eye of the corpse <laughs> but Ooh, Brett waxing poetic <laughs> so the what's why I have been excited about this I will admit I fancied myself a want to be treasure hunter a la forest fens uh, followers You're like please let it be in rifle state park <laughs> well I, I I gave up on it a long time ago but I never physically searched for it, but I actually was aware of the treasure, and I did purchase the two books where clues were hidden. And one of the one of the books, kind of the main source for the hints, is a book called The Thrill of the Chase. And I'm going to read you just an excerpt, but the, the Thrill of the Chase is kind of his autobiographical tale. And, you know, and, and that is part of the controversy, too. Is some people said... Uh, he was just trying to sell his book, and it's like, well, yeah. He's like, you're right. If you if you want to find the buried treasure, you got to buy my book and and solve the riddle that's in it. You that's know, so but you, awesome. It's I know what <laughs> people are. People are crazy, man. Bunch but, of dinguses. So let me read you this this poem, and and so this is about as far as I got. I bought these books. I read the poem, I got online and suddenly realized, okay, 
there are people that are actually dedicating their life to solving this and finding this treasure and physically going out to the Rocky Mountains. And that's kind of why I thought I might have a chance here because, you know, the Rocky Mountains are, are, are uh, home. I mean, I love the Rocky Mountains and I live, grew up here and lived here and still am here essentially. And, but when you, when you think about where they narrowed it down to, which is New Mexico, Wyoming, Colorado, and Montana, that is a pretty large place. To that doesn't search. sound like narrowing anything down. It's well, it's like you look a at the tenth globe, of the country. <laughs> if you draw a line from Santa Fe north along the mountains to the border of Canada, that's that's a lot of treasure hunting right there. So I ended up selling the books at a uh, a garage sale, and I that was as far as my treasure hunting career went. <laughs> the like most treasure hunts the- end <laughs> at a garage sale. Yeah, it's better than the bottom of a crevasse, though. That's true. So well, you came uh, out a winner, I'd say. All right, <laughs> let's guess. hear this poem. Yeah, so the, I, I love this. Begin it where warm waters halt and take it in the canyon down. Not far, but too far to walk. Put in below the home of Brown. And that's just a little snippet. There is a little bit more, but... I wanted to give you some of the insights into like how these people dissected the poems. So the home of Brown clue is probably one of the most important clues. Brown, the word Brown is capitalized. It's a ca- it's the only uh, capitalized word, not at the beginning of each line. And Forrest Fenn would drop little hints in interviews. Nothing. Um, I mean, they were like, canon hints if you will but he wouldn't give any individual specific hints like if you emailed him and asked for a hint he'd just delete your email um but he would drop like you know people would analyze his interviews and whatnot well um he he said that if you knew where the home of brown was you would go right to the chest so some of these people would you know consider okay is this a person is this an animal is this a place name so there's a very famous person right here in Colorado, Molly Brown. She's a very famous Titanic survivor. She's from Leadville, Colorado. She has a historic house that's preserved in Denver. I mean, that's a very good guess. There's uh, Joe Brown of Joe Brown's Put-In in Montana. There's Ranger Brown of the Lamar Ranger Station in Yellowstone. There, I mean, you know, the, the list could go on and on, and, and that's just people. That's uh, not animals. a rare name. I'm sure there are a it's, lot of famous... <laughs> people in American history with that last name. Right, right. So um, a- another theory was he was referring to brown trout because Forrest Fenn was a very avid fly fisher. And trout fishing water sources are sometimes referred to warm waters. Um, it could be a brown bear's den, which I think is a stretch. Um, places we could have... <laughs> that wouldn't be very reasonable. <laughs> be hard to find. Hope we don't mind being mauled to death. Right at the bottom of the crevasse. Um, yeah, there's there's Brown's Canyon National Monument in Colorado. There's there's Brown Mountain Campground uh, in Wyoming. There's Brown Cemetery in Montana. So you know this is the kind of thing that people were dissecting to you know get their starting point, and you know they had their their GPSs, and they had they probably had a 
metal detectors, and I don't think it was... I, I read back when I was interested in this and thinking, okay, am I going to go out and look for this? There was theories that it was underwater, like in a river, but visible. Um, I don't think it was buried. Well, the, the find... We don't know who has found the treasure, but once again, this is there. There are some people saying that they doubt that this treasure has been found. I do not doubt it because Forrest Fenn has said, you know, he could easily check on it every once in a while, and he would check on it and say, nope, the treasure's still there. Well, somebody emailed him a picture of the treasure and described in kind of a poetic fashion. That it was, you know, under a bush, under the night sky, and the, next to this kind of mountain peak sort of thing. And um, they sent him a picture, and he, he has confirmed that it's been found. And there's no reason to lie about that, because if you think about some of the fatalities, they're literally, when people were getting rescued, and when they were dying looking for this thing, authorities were begging Forrest Fenn to encourage people to stop looking for this thing because I mean it's like taking up state resources, you know. I mean it's he's it's like ah, I got a terminal people. disease. Nah. Well, yeah. I mean he he basically said no. You know. I mean that's part of an adventure. I guess it's it's kind of like we've talked it about really with action is. sports. It, it kind of adds you know to the the, the, the fantasy of it, the the triumph and the tragedy. Yeah. But but even so even after you know they begged him the this uh police officer from one one town begged <laughs> begged him to just go get the treasure, call off the hunt and he still refused and more people died. <laughs> and now he's saying it has been found and he and there is a picture that he was sent. He has confirmed this. So I mean I I tend to believe this guy. This was a real thing. This has been found. That's my take. That's my opinion. Um, but uh, uh, so the it, it said it was under a canopy of stars in the lush forested vegetation of the Rocky Mountains. And he says it had not moved from the spot where I hid it more than 10 years ago. And he says he so does crazy. not know the person who found it. Um, but the poem in his book led him to the precise spot. So the hunt is over for for forest fens treasure but dude so I was the you, I, was uh -huh. santa fe is that where was that the significance of santa fe that's where the treasure supposedly was hidden it, it's it's forest fens home and it's where he's an art dealer and i i think he did a lot of hiking in that area and i, I i'm you know i have a feeling it wasn't that close i have a feeling it was in colorado but I, I could be. Yeah, totally represent. I, I, I. That might just be confirmation bias. I, I just want it to be a, 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 a Colorado local that hometown found the hero. So what is? Uh, it, do you have any information about like where he got all this like gold bullion and rubies and whatever was in there? Like, is he was he an adventurer collecting this stuff during his life? Yes. So. There, I love. Uh, I'm gonna link this in the show notes. There's a couple articles that I'm gonna link about Forrest Fenn. Uh, one of them is from before the treasure was found. It was in 2016, and and just to give you some context here, uh, June 6th 
was the date in 2020 when the treasure was found. So, I mean, this is a very recent development. But in 2016, NPR wrote just a fantastic piece on Forrest Fenn and his treasure. And uh, in the 1990s, he was criticized by Southwestern archaeologists over his excavation of a Pueblo Indian site that he owned. And archaeologists consider him a plunderer and this is from the NPR, NPR article. Fenn said that they're, quote, clubby fuss budgets. <laughs> so There's an I, old-timey insult for you. You know, this, this, not only did you have people that were dying looking for this treasure, but, there, you know, he might be collecting this stuff from, like, the graves of Native Americans. Ooh. I mean, I, I would like to know that he acquired... These things, um, you know, I don't know, on the 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 black market of art De beers. Dealing. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know how he acquired his treasure. I'm not sure exactly what is in there. But uh, uh, I'm, I'm a little more interested on if the person is ever going to come forward that found it because the tax ramifications of that are going to be significant, to say the least. The IRS, once they're cut of found treasure, um, also the land that the treasure was uh, placed on is going to determine quite a bit. And I do believe Forrest Fenn thought this out. I mean, he wrote a book around this whole thing, and he put together, you know, he hit, he put $2 million out somewhere. So, of course, this was a very thought-out uh, sort of adventure and public public publicity stunt if you will but um i so I, I believe he put some serious thought into what the laws would be i mean if it's on private property you know you can't just walk around on people's private property but there's all kinds of different bureau of land management national forest state park i mean there's tons of public lands where the there rules plenty are of different. places yeah but there there are places there are open land places where if you find treasure it's basically like a finder's keepers law where that belongs to you, but you have to report it as income and probably pay a good portion of what the appraisal value is and send them so I, send the IRS like an envelope full of gold, gold coins. <laughs> yeah. Emeralds. Yeah. You guys deal with this. Yeah. It, it's very interesting, Josh. And I, I just can't wait to hear whatever the development is going to be. I'm, I'm sure the finder, if they if they spent years looking for this, I'm, I I doubt it was something they stumbled upon, right? I think you had to find kind of the right place and the right clues and 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 spend some time really looking for. It. That's that's who I'm guessing found it is somebody that invested a lot of time, and so they're probably lawyering up and they're probably gonna make a little extra money to to pay off the the tax bill by maybe selling the rights to an exclusive story about them finding the treasure. Cause that's the other side of this adventure that we're kind of taken on, uh, just as like a, a contentologist. I mean, I, I can't wait awesome to follow movie. the story and it would definitely, that would, I would watch that docuseries for sure. I'd watch that Nicholas cage movie any day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's exactly the kind of, magic this year needs right now it's like it's totally something like out of a movie from our childhood 
You know, it's just Definitely. like, it seems too awesome to be real. I love that. I me love too. Finn's and treasure. Me too. And, and despite any, you know, heartbreak and controversy and, um, rescues that had to be made. I, I think the flip, I think the pros outweigh the cons in this case and think of all the people that went on amazing adventures and I never even looked for it. And I just, it just like added a little excitement to my life as just as, as a, as, uh, just as a spectator of, of life today. So if I ever win the, if I ever win the lottery or I don't know, make, make it, make it big and, uh, uh, maybe I'll become some kind of plundering archaeologist, but I, I thought you were going to say I... become horribly depressed as lottery winners are wont to do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I already forgot what I learned from the happiness labs. <laughs> but, you know, I, I hope that I would want to inspire, you know, find a way to inspire people too. And, and uh, you know, if, if you are going to go treasure hunting, uh, you know, it, you're, it's kind of on you to not just like wander into the woods thinking you're going to stumble on a treasure chest and to do your due diligence and at least know how to, I don't know, get some good hiking shoes, have some survival skills. People know where you are. GPS beacon. Yeah. Some safety equipment. Yeah. And he did say that, I mean, he was checking up on it and he was at an advanced age and he did say that it's, it was in a place where a 70-year-old average person could find it if they knew the location, if they figured out the clues. So this wasn't, you know, you didn't have to pull off a Tom Cruise stunt, a crevice jump or a rock climb or a free solo. You know, anybody could find this, really. And I think that was part of uh, his intention, was to, was to get people out and just make them dream. That's really awesome. Sounds like yeah. we really blew it by not going yeah. on this treasure adventure. It's, it we would have were... been fun if 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 I hear something about like this, maybe we want to do a a spin off, a couple spin off episodes, and and go hunt for it if somebody buries some treasure. Totally, we do a field episode. We were too busy sitting inside consuming content to bring everyone this amazing show to go out treasure hunting. Who has the time these days? Who has the time? Well, that's all I got on uh, Forest Fen's treasure. That's awesome, man. I love that. Yeah, that's cool to hear all those details, too. That's a lot of stuff that uh, I hadn't really ever heard before. I knew this thing existed, but I hadn't really had all those details laid out for me. So awesome, bro. It's fantastic. Yeah. Good stuff, yeah, man. So um, what you got on your yeah? What you got on your content circuit? I, I'll be honest with you, I got nothing for the content circuit. I haven't really been uh, reading a whole lot or watching any content. Sounds like you've been reading about the treasure hunt. Yeah, I, ha- I have been doing that a little bit. <laughs> well, you know what I watched today? I've, I've seen it before, but uh, I watched it again today. And usually, things like this would just kind of wash over me in the background because. It's a kid's movie. But uh, we watched um, Monsters University, which is like the prequel to Monsters, Inc., the Pixar film. And, I mean, we watch a lot of Pixar here. And you and I both love Pixar, but 
seen them all a thousand times. So usually I'm not paying attention, but I realized today how awesome that movie is monsters university, how much it like just like pushes all my buttons. So the first thing I really noticed about the movie is with, with the advanced stage of Pixar's animation and just world creating knowledge at this point, just the, the look of this movie, it just, it brings like so many emotions out, you know, like when the leaves start to change for like autumn and you get like this certain feeling, like you can feel the little nip in the air and it makes you like, it makes you just like happy that you have like a warm place to go at the end of the day. Oh, I, I slip on my Uggs and I get a pumpkin spice latte immediately. That's so basic. But yeah, it, is. it makes you want to be basic. Yeah, exactly. So Basically awesome. The the look of the movie, there's like a part where it's like the halfway through the semester and the leaves are all starting to change. It just feels so real. It's crazy that you know, just seeing images on a screen, especially like animated images, can give you that same sense it's like so powerful they're so good at what they do but then the other thing that is great about this movie is it's kind of like the uh like the harry potter effect were you a harry potter fan absolutely movies books all of it video games podcasts acclaims so um i'm not sure i'm a jk rowling fan she uh she seems to be doing what Voldemort never could do, and she seems to be destroying Harry Potter through inserting herself into tweet controversies Blah. during a very political time. Thank but, God uh, we're not talking about her right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, like with Harry Potter, how it's like that just, I mean, it's magical, the whole idea of it, but like the idea of going to a school and learning like this arcane knowledge something that seems like you wouldn't be taught at a school like in their case it's magic well in monsters university case it's scares so they're like going to school to learn to be like you know to work on the scare floor of monsters inc and it just like it makes college just seem so awesome they have like sororities and frats that they deal with and they go to like these scare games that are held underground in like the the sewers of the college it's all like the, it's it's basically like a college tale coming of age, but set in the monsters universe. I thought it was really great, and it's it definitely like grabs me every time it's on, which is kind of rare at this point for one of the, one of the Pixar films because just you see them all when you have two kids. Yeah, I you know I I haven't seen Monsters University. I saw uh, Monsters Inc. of course, but yeah, I never saw the sequel prequel. Highly recommend. I'm missing out. Okay, yeah. I'll definitely check it out. So yeah, that's about it for me. Other than all the uh, all the shows, books, and games that I just have constantly cycling, but yeah, I think that's a that's probably a, enough of a mediocre medium dive for uh, one content circuit. Yeah, just a quick lap, quick sprint. Yeah. Well, how about we take a quick break and then. I know you're going to get into some sweet content. Ooh, content. The Content Clearinghouse is brought to you by Best Maps Ever. They make checklist posters for outdoor adventurers who want to see it all. If you want to visit every national park in the United States, 
Climb every 14er in Colorado or ski every slope in New England. Best Maps Ever posters are the perfect way to track and inspire your quest. Every map is lovingly designed with icons marking each location so you can stick a pin in the icon or color it in with a marker as you check off the areas you've been to. They offer mounting and framing services for maps that are ready for pinning right out of the box, or if you prefer to mount the map yourself, there are tips on the website to help you with that. They have a slew of maps relating to protected areas and public lands like state parks, national forests, and even more obscure maps like the National Wild and Scenic Rivers system. So Josh, one of the maps my wife and I have mounted in our camper is the National Parks map. Now, it's covered in pins because, well, you know, Bree and I get around. And Best Maps Ever makes our gallivanting around the country even more fun because we can put a pin in the map to prove that we've been there and done that. No one could ever cheat that system, Brett. Well, it is on the honor system. Best Maps Ever does not employ any sort of pin-related security system that will come to your house and check and see if you've actually visited the places you've been. <gasps> Since you brought it up, I have uh, the skydiving drop zone map hanging up in my office. It's one of the few decorations I have that's not celebrating one of my many athletic achievements. In fact, it's hanging up on the wall right next to my world's most humble man trophy. (whistles) For all your cartographic needs, visit bestmapsever.com. They've got the best maps ever. Clear it out. All right, welcome back to the content clearinghouse forest fens treasure has been found so you know it was a high and now now we now we're kind of coming down the roller coaster here and we're getting off the ride so i need i need some i need some content obviously my content circuit was uh about a zero so bring me to a hero josh all right what i need to consume you're gonna like this so Keeping with the rich content clearinghouse tradition of us asking each other ridiculous questions to start <laughs> off our content pieces, Such let a me rich ask tradition. you a ridiculous question, Brett. On a scale from the year 2020 in general <laughs> to puzzles, how much do you love Twitter? You know, I don't use it. Well, that's perfect. So, uh, does the idea of people explaining tweets to you sound captivating in any way? It, uh, if it's you explaining it to me, I am already captivated. Well, I'm not going to do it, but um, you know who will is the amazing podcast Reply All. So Ooh, for me, nice. The, You've been talking about this podcast for a while. Uh, it's so good. The idea of hearing someone explain a tweet to me sounds like just about the most boring thing in the world, which is why it's so interesting that hearing them do it is so entertaining. So reply all this is a podcast that was started in 2014. Uh, It was started by a gentleman named Alex Bloomberg, and he created this podcast, uh, this network called Gimlet Media. So this show, Reply All, is a podcast about internet history and lore. They do deep tech-based stories. Uh, it's it's a show with several amazing, like long-standing segments, and one of the best segments is something called Yes, Yes, No. And this segment is it. Alex Bloomberg 
who is somewhat like the technologically out of touch boss, will bring a tweet to the two hosts of the show, Alex Goldman and PJ Vote, and they will attempt to explain it to him. And it's fascinating because internet culture has such a, I feel like a high barrier to entry. Essentially, you're alienated by it if you haven't been immersed in it constantly since its inception, which is why something like Twitter, to me, it seems completely foreign. It's a it's a type of net or a social media that I've never even touched. So with that, I feel very out of touch with anything that happens on Twitter. And for the most part, you know, I try to keep up with technology and new developments and things like that. So most most like memes and Twitter jokes, they just go completely over my head because I haven't been immersed in that world. So I have zero interest in Twitter and it really speaks to the quality of this segment that they can make these tweets so compelling. I love it that they come at this segment with the point of view, the angle of someone who is confused by these tweets. It's the perfect starting point for me. So somebody like you or myself, Alex Bloomberg is the perfect analog for our understanding of that entire world. Well, that's just another thing that you do not have in common with our president. (laughs) This is true. Yeah, he's got quite the handle on it on Twitter. Yeah, put it on the list. It's a long one. So (laughs) the the one that I want to talk about, uh, it comes from episode 114. It's entitled Apocalypse Soon. And the tweet that they bring, it encompasses... The Tide Pod Challenge, Virtual Reality Racism, Logan Paul's Insensitive Exploitation of the Japanese Suicide Forest, and something that can only be summed up with the phrase, Somebody touch a my spaghetti. Have you ever heard of any of those things? I am familiar with about half of them. I, I know about the Logan Paul controversy. That was uh, very fascinating to say the least and then what was what was one of the other ones that you mentioned early on it's got the tide pod challenge which oh I'm yeah sure everyone has heard i of. know about the tide pod challenge they're uh, delicious no just kidding there's uh, don't eat those oh, yeah you're i've seen your youtube channel you really like <laughs> poisoning yourself i put cinnamon on it a spoonful of cinnamon oh yeah that's the way to go you're doubling up on challenges <laughs> see i'm not com- i'm not completely ignorant when it comes to stupid things on the internet wash it down with a gallon of milk So if that entire collection of things sounds very confusing and having it all laid out in a logical manner sounds entertaining, then you'd love Reply All. They do. This this is a a recurring segment, yes, yes, no. And I don't want to go too deep into this episode particularly, but we will share a picture of this tweet because it is, it's pretty awesome. And, uh, Anytime they do like a yes, yes, no, I'm always on my phone Googling. I'm like, I want to see what this tweet looks like because it's all just like, it's it's such a, there's so much like rich backstory to all of them. And anytime I see on the feed that a new yes, yes, no is up, I'm like, oh, that's like going the, to the top of my content circuit for the day because those episodes are always so entertaining. So they've got... Uh, about 160 episodes. It's a, it's a ton of content to consume. 
For me, audio resides in this very special place in my content circuit because its consumption is so passive. So podcasts, for me, can make any menial task bearable pretty much for an indefinite amount of time. Like if I have a good lineup of shows, I can do anything forever. Like we've been outside sanding our deck Making down. Making love. Parrot. Exactly. Hold on, yeah. baby. <laughs> Let me just pop these headphones in. Um, <laughs> like we've been outside sanding our deck down to prepare it, you know, to get it ready to paint. And it's just like, oh, I'll do this all day. Just listen to listen to some podcasts. Do you do that too? Like are you... Yeah, you, you know, I, I haven't been driving very much lately, but usually... Uh, Bree and I on our road trips, uh, we would consume podcasts together. So we did have to have some crossover on what we both enjoyed, uh, which fortunately my wife is, uh, you know, open to listen to a lot of things, but we, we don't have exactly the same interest when it comes to podcasts. But now that I'm not really driving very much, I, and I do, I, I am making a very active effort to be engaged with the world. Like when I'm going for a run, I want to, um, well, I, I don't really, I, I kind of run occasionally. I don't really run, but I want to like maybe listen to some music or listen to the sounds of nature, the sounds of my breath. So I, I am trying to engage in my surroundings. However, m- lately it's been in the shower while I'm shaving. Well, not while I'm shaving the shower, but I listen to podcasts while I'm showering, and then when I get out, I'm shaving, and I listen to podcasts, and then when I do the dishes. Doing the dishes is like the perfect podcast activity. So those are kind of like my... That's when I can squeeze in a little bit of podcast time. And then occasionally, uh, when I'm laying in bed, if I don't feel like reading, I will put headphones in, and I will like be a more active listener to the podcast. But yeah, man, I, I totally get it. You can listen to the dishes and listen to the... You can listen to I dishes or you can listen I'm to saying. podcasts. That's right. I, I, cho- I chose podcasts every time. Over, out of the two, yes. <laughs> yes. So let me give you a little bit of background on this show. Uh, like The hosts are, with any show, I think any podcast, the hosts need to be engaging. They need to be very personable and just people that you feel like you know you want their voice in your head. So these guys are awesome, and they've been doing this for a long time. So Alex Goldman, he got his journalism degree and then worked as an intern in public radio, and then he worked in IT, and he worked as a network admin before he landed his job at WNYC. And he was told uh, when he was an intern that he would never get a job in broadcasting. So he went through this like long succession of different jobs, kind of like in the tech field, and he kind of described it as the long way around to get into broadcasting. And PJ Vote, who is the younger of the two, in college, he applied for an internship at This American Life, which anyone who is familiar with, with podcasts know that that's like pretty much the top of the game. So he didn't get that Ira job. Glass has such a wonderful <sighs> voice. He just speaks directly into my ear about some very thoughtful, interesting ideas on This American Life. He is very interesting, that's for sure. He he kind of like laid the groundwork for a lot of like what NPR and WNYC sound like. Definitely. Yeah, and Radiolab is another great uh formerly produced by WNYC. Yeah, exactly. And they have kind of all that same sound. So Definitely, PJ yeah. Vote, 
didn't get the job at This American Life, but he got a job as a temp at On the Media, which is another WNYC show. And he kind of described his career path as the short way into broadcasting. And the inter- the uh, interview that I listened to, <laughs> Alex Golden was definitely like, you know, he was like a little heated about how easy it was for PJ to get in there. But the end result is the same. So they ended up working together on the show on the media at WNYC. And there was this internal content competition where the employees would submit show ideas and the winner would receive funding to create their show. So they proposed a show called TLDR, which uh, in internet parlance is too long, didn't read. So, you know, that's like what you would see like at the end of like somebody writes you like a novel. And then at the end, they're like, TLDR, Finn's treasure has been found. You're right. (laughs) Their show that they proposed was TLDR. And they were finalists, but they lost. But the idea for the show, which was very similar to Reply All, you know, it's kind of like internet lore and history and crazy stories from, you know, the world of the internet. It was good enough that they convinced their bosses to allow them to create it on their own, kind of like a nights and weekends type thing. And the final product got enough traction that they developed into its own entity with a decent following that I initially learned of these guys through TLDR, which I probably learned about, you know, as through some advertising on some other NPR show. So it was, uh, they said that it ended up being better ultimately, ultimately that they didn't win because the conditions for creating TLDR didn't require any oversight since it wasn't officially sanctioned. And they, you know, they were just allowed to kind of experiment, get creative. So, that show ended up being short-lived, but it definitely set the stage for the much better developed Reply All. Did you ever uh, did you ever come across this in your NPR travels? You know, um, TLDR does sound familiar to me. I it's amazing to me that I never came across Reply All before your suggestion, and I still haven't put it in my content circuit, but. I will say, as an avid listener of the Happiness Lab, a podcast that we have already covered on the show, uh, Dr. Lori Santos actually has the Reply All hosts on her show. It's the only crossover uh, episode of another podcast on the Happiness Lab that I'm aware of. And it was a fantastic episode about griping and gripes. So, yeah, yeah, it was. Alex Goldman has a. He has a, he, they always do ads for it on the show. It's a, a website called gophergripes.com. And it's yes. where people, it, so they do this as an ad for Squarespace, but it's like one of the one of the more interesting ads you hear on a podcast because they edit them with different gripes that people have submitted. It's like, it's like this one's like, when you get too much butter on your popcorn at the movies, and then like, <laughs> right. they'll just like mock how trivial that gripe is. It's really a, it's right. a really awesome idea for an advertisement. And it I, was very interesting to hear a Yale psychologist and professor talk about the psychology of griping and kind of defining griping and what kind of effects it has on your long-term mental well-being when you're griping. So it was just a really funny but also interesting episode. So I cannot wait to listen to these guys show, man. It's really good, and they have like a they have a really good chemistry between the two of them. Like Alex Goldman is kind of like the grumpier old guy, and then PJ Vote is kind of like the 
And he's, he's a little delusionally happy younger guy. <laughs> so they have like a really good back and forth. And then their boss, Alex Bloomberg, who they bring on like during the Yes, Yes, No, yes, yes, no segments. I initially found out about Reply All the way I found out about every podcast. It was through another podcast. It was through this show, um, Startup, which uh, Alex Bloomberg created. And it Startup chronicles the creation of Gimlet Media. So season one is all about Alex Bloomberg's journey to create Gimlet in the first place. And Gimlet creates Reply All and several other shows now. So it's the... Uh, it's a very cool like meta behind the scenes look at how an amazing network is created. And since I listened to, uh, since I've listened to both of these shows, you know, I kind of more or less knew the entire story of how they brought that network up off the ground, how they created reply all, which was the first show for the network. And you get like all these really cool behind the scenes looks at like how much stress goes into what seems like from our point of view as the consumer, just kind of like this breezy fun show where, you know, you just like, you get to be entertained for 45 minutes. Yeah. That's super interesting. I love hearing about any, anyone taking something from its inception when it starts out as an idea and then they follow and they, you can track that journey with them. Uh, I mean, it, it could literally be a, business or a product i mean it's it's one of the it's one of those things that makes shark tank really fun to watch is because you know you'll see an old episode and you'll google it to see like where are they now that's like a very common there's like blogs about like shark tank they were there where are they now what's happened to them follow you know and so that that sounds very interesting too yeah startup is really good and uh yeah it's great just hearing like stories about people being winners you know and I know like, you know, us putting this show together, how much work it was just for the two of us to figure out everything we needed to know and get the equipment, get it all set up, figure out all the behind the scenes technological issues. It's it's cool to hear about, you know, these guys who have a background in broadcasting, you know, they have all those same issues, but on top of that, they're like, where do we get office space? who do we hire wow. what's what stories are we going to cover it's cool you know having that having that in my brain because it you know it helps inspire me for what, what we're doing here absolutely so this show just like everything on their meet on their uh, network it really follows the mpr uh, mpr formula of interviews where they will let the interviewee start talking and then they like fade them out and then the host paraphrases yeah, I'll admit, I'll admit that like that format is not my favorite, honestly. But the stories that they cover and the way they do it, you know, it's definitely they're working off of a preset formula that has been known to be very popular with a wide audience. Like the way they do it is, I mean, it's top notch. You're not going to find like a better show as far as editing and production goes. So I I enjoy more of like a you know like a back and forth style style conversational show, but as far as the NPR format goes, Reply All like totally nails it. Yeah, and I and uh, you know it's it would help to have uh, an editing budget and maybe a production team if that's the direction we wanted to go. 
but uh, you know, maybe if I find Forrest Fenn's next treasure chest, you know, we can start hiring a, a whole team. But for right now, I, I I like the content clearinghouse the way it is. Oh yeah, I love it yeah. too. <laughs> well, maybe if the person who found who found the treasure decides to do their own like meta treasure hunt, and then they put that treasure out somewhere, you can find yeah. it, and then we, we can just start twenty percent off the top. Yep, we do our own NPR style show after that. Excellent. Yeah, I actually I really like that format. I that to me is something. Um, I don't know. I you know, Radio Lab was probably like the first long form audio only, um, not audio book style entertainment or edutainment, yeah, if you will. I mean, I I really like. I, I would say I grew up. Um, really wanting to do deep dives into science and philosophy and finding out like a, a, just a bizarre topic, super vague or super specific, just anything you could find these amazing stories and these amazing anecdotes. And it's not just necessarily two people talking about something, which I really do enjoy that as well, but you hear it straight out of this scientist's mouth or straight out of Laura Buxton's, you know, <laughs> finds the balloon Right, so it, I um I just think NPR nails it, and I you know maybe it is a little bit of a formula, but it it is because it works and it's fantastic. It definitely appeals to me. Yeah, it's a formula for a reason. I mean, it's highly produced, and I'll admit there was a time when I didn't realize any other podcast be besides Radiolab even existed. That was my first introduction to the entire thing. So. I'll always appreciate it, but now that I've been exposed to other types of podcasts, it's not its not my preference, but something like this, I'll definitely deal with that because it's so great. Yeah. So they have another segment called Super Tech Support, which typically Alex Goldman, who has the IT background, he'll take calls from people with these strange tech problems and questions that seem impossible to answer. He'll use his internet detective skills and background to solve all these issues. So they have an episode of Super Tech Support that is considered by The Guardian to be the greatest podcast episode of all time. This is a... Wow. That's a bold statement. It is. Because there's a lot of podcasts out there. There Did they even listen to our show? But um, (laughs) the episode is number 158 it's called the case of the lost hit and this is it's really unlike anything i've ever heard i've never seen a tv show i've never heard a podcast read a book anything like what they did in this show it it is so crazy so this is it's kind of like a one-off where pj vote is actually doing the super tech support but it's the uh the story of a filmmaker his name is tyler gillette and he has this earworm song stuck in his head from when he was a kid growing up in Arizona. And it's this song he said that was like a mashup between a bare naked lady song, which is kind of like quasi white boy rap and a U2 like uh, stadium anthem chorus. And he has almost like this encyclopedic knowledge of the song stuck in his head. He's got the lyrics, which he like, he just, he's always singing them and annoying his girlfriend when he tries to look it up online so like his girlfriend can listen to it, he can't find any mention of it anywhere on the internet. It's like the entire internet has been scrubbed free of this entire, the existence of this song. 
So PJ takes on the super tech support problem of trying to track the song down. He does everything he can think of. He enlists experts from, you know, 90s music, uh, these guys from Rolling Stone that are basically like historians of 90s music. He contacts the lead singer of Bare Naked Ladies to see if it was anything that was familiar to him. And what they end up settling on doing, and this is this is just a brief primer on the story, so it's this is not really spoilers at all, but what he does is he hires a group of musicians to have them recreate the song from Tyler's memory and then shops it around to various experts and he, they stick it into these apps that should be able to identify a song from you humming it. Basically, it's like this insane detective story where they end up with the actual song or a great, like this amazing facsimile of it that they are playing for all these people and it just keeps going from there. You know, it's like that, that's just, that's just the setup for the story and it just keeps getting crazier and crazier. Man, that, that is fat. That really appeals to me specifically because as you know, I used to play jazz music, uh, kind of when I was growing up and, uh, there's a lot of jazz standards out there, and for some reason, I always want to know, you know, what's what song this is, and and uh, who wrote it, or what which quartet made it famous, or whatever. But I would get these melodies stuck in my head, and they and I I love jazz. I mean, I, it really is kind of like my first love in music, and and I get these melodies just stuck, and I would want to know what it is so I could listen to it, but I couldn't think of the name, and I would actually call a shout out to this amazing bass player turned chef his name is brian i believe he is still a head chef in denver but he was just a fantastic bass player that i had gigged with a little bit and you know this guy hasn't heard from me in five six years and i would call him out of the blue and i'd leave him a voicemail and i'd say okay brian i need you to name this tune it's a terrible version but he'd call me back a couple days later yeah that's cherokee dude oh thanks man and so it's kind of like a very low budget uh no npr production value uh version of that but i i know the pain of of having a melody stuck in my head but it's never been it's never gotten to the point where uh most songs exist the song didn't exist yeah yeah exactly you're able to find almost everything yeah, it's like such Absolutely. a rare thing that you can't find anything on this. And, you know, I think The Guardian, you know, they they quote this as being the greatest podcast episode of all time because it is truly like this epic scale story. And I love that there's a medium out there that allows that type of reporting. You know, they're not like, they're not beholden to any kind of real corporate interests. Gimlet Media just allows PJ and Alex to pursue these journalistic efforts to the end of the earth, if that's what it takes, and then it trusts them to deliver this epic story, and they never disappoint. But as amazing as the case of the missing hit is, I personally don't think it, it, I don't even think it's their best work. Like that honor in my book goes to, it's more of a journalistic story, doesn't fall into either one of their classical segments. It's a, it's a two-part episode, uh, 102 and 103. It's called Long Distance. And this is a story that took Alex Goldman seven months to create. So this one kind of starts off with the question of, like, would you ever intentionally answer a spam call? 
So I know the answer for me is absolutely not. Would you ever answer yeah. a spam call like just to just to genuinely engage the person on the other end? No, the unsung hero of the iPhone is when they started the this caller ID function that says scam likely. And I always make the kind of stupid dad joke like, oh, it's my buddy's scam calling me again. He, he calls me a lot, Mr. Likely. You know, it's, yeah, I, lo- I, I love seeing scam likely. It is t- totally a name. Yeah. It's like, right. uh, it's, I, I feel like they did that as a joke. It's I just too scam perfect. is short for scam a lot. Yeah, that's it. Scam a lot likely the third. So I would never answer a call like this, but like this episode makes me want to do it. So he gets yeah. this call and he answers it and it's like this. You know, it's like this recording, your iCloud may be compromised, call us back. So he starts investigating it and he ends up talking to this guy on the other end named Alex Martin. And as he's kind of like prodding him and asking him like, what's your scam? What, what are you guys trying to do here? Are you trying to get my credit card number? And then as he's prodding this guy, Alex Martin, the guy on the other end says, we are anonymous. We are legion. Expect us. And then he's, Alex Goldman starts laughing like, you're anonymous? And then the guy just like goes off on like all these threats about we're going to, we're going to leak, we're going to take pictures off your phone and leak them onto some porn sites or something. So he starts threatening him and this like totally intrigues Alex Goldman. So he calls them back like several times and ends up getting into like this dialogue with this guy. And eventually he asks him things like, like, don't you feel bad about trying to scam people? And Alex Martin tells him, like, no, we don't feel bad. We choose people based off, you know, whether it sounds like they have a good name. You know, people with good names will have a lot of money. And we don't care if we're taking money from, you know, rich people who don't care about their impact on the world. And so it's this it's this crazy look into, like, kind of like the philosophy and the mindset of the people that are running these things. So the, wow. the entire story is like it's this deep dive into like scamming operations, the companies, how they're formed, the people they recruit, and why they feel like they're justified to scam people. Like another thing that he tells him, uh, Alex Martin tells Alex Goldman, is people from America have a lot of expendable income, and they they feel that ignorance of tech justifies what they do. If they haven't learned enough to protect themselves, then they shouldn't deserve to be safe from things like what we're doing that they deserve whatever happens to them. And it, it seems like, you know, there's like kind of like this quasi racist angle, but also like a classist angle about how they feel European and American cultures view the rest of the world. It's well, dude, I'll, I'll say something about human nature that knows no gender, creed, socioeconomic status, color. It, it, it we, we all have, this amazing ability to rationalize anything. <laughs> yeah. It might be the most defining characteristic of the human species is justifying things. You almost need the ability to rationalize to have you know, a conscious brain. And it, 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 like, it might be. Yeah, it might be a requirement. That's a really interesting idea. And to guys like this, like the guys that are running this company, it's just, you know, they're, they're like past the point of rationalizing it they have it set up you know they have office space they have like 100 employees 
it's just like this is our business. We sell people access back to their own computers, essentially. Like I love that, you know, the the freedom that Reply All affords these guys. They can pursue these long threads, things that no human really ever have the time to chase down. Like he spends seven months chasing these guys down. He flies to India under the auspices of meeting with the head of this scamming empire. And eventually like he gets in over his head and fears for his safety. He has to switch hotels because he's afraid of what might happen. You know, it's like, it's such an insane story. It's like this kind of story. It's like all in a day's work for these guys, or like in this case, all in the, 210 days work it's like a wow seven months to put this story together and that's like something you don't typically hear on a podcast well that's unbelievable and you know not to not to uh, i'm not forcing this uh tying it together from uh the off top to the content piece but it is kind of fun when they two unrelated things that neither of us knew uh, the other one was bringing to the table seemed to coalesce in my mind, but th- the similarities between following a thread like that to unravel this mystery and Forrest Fenn's treasure is I feel like both of them embody this spirit of like playfulness or curiosity or just like, you know, what if we treated life as fun as a game and we didn't take it too seriously. And instead of, you know, this practiced rote reaction of when, you know, a scam likely calls just, ugh, why, you know, you're so annoying. You know, what, what if we just thought like, maybe there's treasure here. Maybe this is an opportunity to play a little bit or to learn something about somebody else. I mean, I don't know that it's, it's hard to put into words, but I just I just feel like this episode is kind of making me want to just have some fun. Yeah, it's uh, this this story. Long distance is definite treasure that he dug out of the garbage. And <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it really is like it. This this show makes me look at the world in a different way, and. It, like one of the things he does during this show, PJ Vote gives Alex Goldman such a hard time about it. He lets them access his computer because he wants to see like what kind of scam they're pulling, and they, he opens up the console, which is kind of like the you know it looks like the like the hacker screen, just like white text on black background, and the guy on the other end is like typing in there. Then he reduces it, and then he expands it back up, and it says it's it's something like. It's supposed to say like Trojan found, but the guy misspelled it and it says Troan. And so he like just starts mocking him. It's like, oh, you really expect me to buy into this? It's so oh good. Oh my gosh. But that's like something <laughs> that would you, I would so never let funny. someone access my computer like that. And that's like yeah. this, what you're talking about. Like finding, just finding the fun in the bad things in life. Okay, I'm going to just give you my bank account number and... We're gonna see what happens here. Just It'll make see a great what kind podcast of scam this episode. Is. <laughs> so there are two awesome tools that I've learned of in this show. One of them is related to Scam Likely. It's a spam phone blocker. It's called Haya, H Y H I Y A Haya. And when I heard about it on Reply All, I downloaded it immediately, and it cut my robocalls down to like I was getting like. 
eight to 10 a day. Now I probably get one a week. It is wow. so awesome. It's free too. So Haya That's amazing. is so good. Everyone should download that. The other thing Done. is if you spend a lot of time trying to like navigate through phone menus, which to me is just the most annoying thing. Like when you'd call like an automated phone menu and it seems like they're always set up by someone who's never set one up before. And that is kind yeah. of the signature of that is that the person who set it up shows no restraint. It's just every place it's like you can record something, they record something. And every place where it's like, do you want to hear these options again? It's always in there. And so it, right. I know all exactly. of these menus I, take... For a while, I thought I could just push zero or yell customer service into the phone. And it worked for a while, but I've noticed recently, uh, and I don't have any specific examples, but I've pushed zero and it hangs up or it goes it just starts playing the message again and it never sends me on to you so i I feel like exactly i feel like they're tripping me up man they're it's like if forrest fenn went back out and hid the treasure somewhere else when i was almost there well you need (laughs) this other tool then it's called gethuman.com it's this huge database of all the buttons you need to push in what order to get to a human the fastest through these automated phone systems oh that's like interesting if you have to call Verizon, you just go to gethuman.com, type in Verizon, and it's like, dial the number, press zero, press four, press two. Bam, that's the fastest route you can take to a human. It is such a cool tool. Well, I'm definitely going to rec- recommend this episode to my Airstream next door neighbors, my awesome new state park campground host neighbors that uh, we've followed each other on Instagram since probably 2014, 2015. And we just, I just knew them as Baker Stream, but now they're real people, it turns out. They're this really awesome family, but it's funny you mentioned this. He needs to get a hold of Verizon so that they can also get internet up and running uh, like we have here. We have that giant antenna that you've seen, but man, it is, it, cell phone companies have got to be the absolute worst for like phone tree, you know, triage uh, mazes. I mean, it's, it's unbelievably irritating. Well, if he doesn't have internet yet, he'll have to, he'll have to use the analog version of gethuman.com. <laughs> Just coming over here and, and getting on my T-Mobile hotspot. Yeah. That's what's up. You're the one yeah. with all the technology going on. I'm the one with the giant tower. I'd recommend Haya spam phone blocker to everyone. Gethuman.com. And just to wrap it up, Reply All, man, their stories highly researched. They clearly take forever to produce. The release schedule has slowed down just a little bit, but they have a huge back catalog, 160-something episodes at the time of this recording. So there's a massive amount of content to consume. Over the years, because I've been listening to them a long time, I've actually gone back and listened to the entire catalog a second time because... It's so much stuff, and I've just forgot all the amazing stories they've done. And I don't really feel like that is a waste of time in any way because it's such a well-done podcast. So get on the bandwagon. Reply all, everyone. Oh, Josh, I cannot. I, I think I've found my new favorite podcast, and I haven't even heard it yet. So this is what I love about the show. Um, 
whenever you bring a piece of content to me, and this is how the show got started, I would always read the books you recommended. I would always watch the shows that you recommended because you have impeccable taste, and that was before you got your imaginary degree in contentology. We didn't even know it existed. And, you know, um, a quick plug uh, with our social media, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Content Clearinghouse, or check out our website, cchpod.com. Brett does some awesome writing on there. Yeah, well, you know what we um I was going to mention we had some very interesting engagement recently because of course as soon as we recorded our episode on the terminal list, I immediately got on Amazon to buy my copy of the terminal list only to find out that it was out of stock. Amazon didn't even have any copies. I mean, it's a wah, very new wah. book. It's already a a New York Times bestseller and uh, of course on our Instagram, I I just posted uh, a little bit about the show that we had just released, and uh, who likes the post besides my mother-in-law? But Jack <laughs> Carr, there was two likes on the post. The author of the was, book, yeah, my mother-in-law, and the author, the former Navy so SEAL awesome. turned incredible author who writes about a disgruntled uh, former Navy SEAL. And uh, he, he just wanted to get on Instagram to let me know that the book was now back in stock and that I could order it. So thank you, Jack Carr. Uh, you know, you're, you're doing amazing work. It's like That's really you, dope. Don't, you don't have enough to do writing best-selling books. Just want to hop on Instagram and let me know that it's back in stock. So we do appreciate it, sir. And thank you for your service to our country. Um, but that's how you know the show's working. You know, we publish that episode, boom, the book sells out. Jack Carr starts hitting us up. So I can't wait to see what happens when I start listening to Reply All, my next new favorite show and my next new favorite piece of content, and hopefully yours, the listeners. Uh, I don't think Reply All is going to be out of stock. I don't <laughs> think that's how the internet works. Unless you're using the analog version. <laughs> that's that's right gethuman.com well thank you josh and thank you to the listeners we're so grateful uh for listening to the show you know tell your friends about our podcast we are trying to uh, build some listeners maybe build some audience build some audience interaction so let us know what you think about the show and if you check out any of this awesome content that we cover uh let us know what you think about that content see if you know your thoughts kind of matched mine or you had something else you want to say we'd love to hear from you And uh, make sure you tune in next week. We have some more great content coming at you.